take your Bibles this morning and uh, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians comes right after 1 Corinthians. I knew y'all would get that one. All right, as we're standing together, we're going to read beginning with uh, verse 6 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're dealing with another hot potato today. Uh, specifically, does God need our money? Does God need our money? The subject of grace giving. So he says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work, as it is written. He has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father, we want to say thank you this morning. You have given us so much. We thank you most of all for the gift of your son, Jesus, which provides for us not only a right relationship with you, but a home in heaven one day where we will be able to gather around your throne and worship in your presence, the presence of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Lord, I pray that you would, through your spirit and your word, teach us something about grace giving today. The gracious tone of our giving that will bring glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated this morning. I believe it was Scott Smith who first told the story when I heard the story of... uh, uh, a carnival that had come through town, and at this particular carnival, they had a strong man, like a lot of the carnivals used to have, a strong man who would impress people with how much weight he could lift and how he could bend rods and all kinds of things in front of the crowd to make the crowd kind of ooh and ah his strength. And he was usually someone who could flex, and his muscles just kind of uh, looked like, you know, somebody that today would be in the Mr. Universe competition or something like that. Well, this strong man went through his entire routine, and at the end of his routine, from town to town, everywhere he would go, he would take a lemon, and he would take that lemon, and he would squeeze that lemon, and he would squeeze all the juice out of that lemon. And once he got all the juice out of that lemon with his amazing strength and his incredible biceps and everything flexing, he would squeeze all the juice out of that lemon, and he would say, I'll give $1,000 for any man who can come up here and get one more drop of juice out of this lemon. He was that confident in his strength that he had left nothing. Uh, nothing else could be squeezed out of that lemon. 
And from town to town he would go and people would try and they would, they would do their best to squeeze more juice out of lemon and, and they would try unsuccessfully and nobody had ever gotten the $1,000 until one day he went to this small town and when he made that offer, $1,000 for anybody who can get one more drop out of this lemon, this little old man just kind of made his way to the front of the tent and he picked up that lemon and he began to squeeze and he began to cry and he began to squeeze and cry and push and squeeze and everybody could see it when a drop of lemon juice began to kind of crystallize there, and, and it fell. He actually did it. This little feeble old man was able to get another drop of lemon juice out of this lemon and to the astonishment of this strong man who said, Old fella, how in the world did you do that? And he said, Oh, that's easy. You see, I'm, I'm the treasurer down at the Baptist church. <laughs> well, a lot of times we may feel like we're trying to get all we can out of what we've got to work with. But I'm not preaching this morning in order to increase offerings at Trinity Baptist Church. I know that people get frustrated not only by uh, pastors, but maybe perhaps most of all by TV preachers who seem to be only after your money. I, I know many preachers are accused of that, and anyone who's been attending Trinity Baptist Church at least for the past 14 years, and knows my heart, they know that I'm not one of those preachers that's just uh, either in it for the money or trying to get your money. And to answer that question right off the bat, does God need our money? The simple answer is no. God is no more God or no less God by whether or not we give or invest in what he is doing. But I'm preaching from this text this morning to do exactly what Paul was doing when he wrote it, and that is to make disciples. That we might truly learn what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Does God really need our money? Well, let's put it this way. Psalm 24, uh, verse 1 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the people and all that dwell therein. In other words, God doesn't need anything from us because ultimately it's already His anyway. It all belongs to God, everything, including us. We all belong. It's all His anyway. So it's not like we're impressing God. God, don't you feel better now that I have given you something? Uh, when you look at Psalm chapter 50, verses 10 through 14, it, it talks about all the offerings that they brought in. And the psalmist is saying, look, it, it's not about the fact that it made God more complete or feel better because we were giving the offerings. They reveal the offerings were revealing what the people knew about themselves and knew about God. The Old Testament sacrificial system was fulfilled in Christ, the greatest gift that's ever been given. There would never be another sacrifice that could compare to the offering that Christ gave on the cross. And so the sacrificial system came to an end. And some have said, well, that means the system of tithes and offerings also came to an end. And certainly, the New Testament grace-giving is not exactly like the Old Testament tithe and offering. If we really understood all that the tithe and the offering represented in the Old Testament, we'd realize it's a lot more than a, a, a mere 10% anyway. But New Testament grace-given, I believe, goes beyond legalistic ritual. Legalistic, just maybe focusing on a particular percentage. And Paul's three previous letters... You say, well, we only have First and Second Corinthians, but we are told that he also wrote two letters that were not canonical scriptures. And, and so in his other letters, he had confronted the church at Corinth for their worldliness 
And now in 2 Corinthians, which would have been his fourth letter to the church at Corinth, he's kind of commending them and then encouraging them, hey, you've got to stay with this. You've demonstrated that you're overcoming some of this carnality, some of the worldliness. And one of the ways they were doing that was their commitment to grace giving, their commitment to investing in the ministry. And if there's anything that might reveal our worldliness, we, we could look at a lot of things. We could, you know, check out what channels we're looking at on the television. Um, we could do a lot of other things to kind of check out how, how worldly are we, what activities are we involved in. But one of the greatest ways is to look at what we spend our money on. We're, we're, what we are investing in will tell us often how worldly, this worldly-minded we are. So Paul has been reminding them not to forget their commitment to giving graciously, especially to further the ministry of the impoverished church at Jerusalem. That's another reason that we come together. I know that there are folks who would say, well, I just don't believe in denominations. One of the great things about denominations and the denomination we're a part of is that churches can come together, churches that, uh, some churches that are more wealthy, some churches are not as wealthy, big churches, small churches, and put 5,000-plus missionaries on the international mission field and another 5,000 church planners in North America. That's one of the wonderful things about churches coming together in their giving and things like the cooperative program where our, our funds are put together in order to put people on the mission field. And Paul is he's kind of commending and challenging the church in chapters 8 and chapters 9 of first, uh, and 2 Corinthians. He begins to focus on grace-giving, not legalistic standards of giving. And based on the evidence of a genuine relationship and, and love for people they were giving as they had purposed in their hearts. And, and this starts, by the way, not with our checkbook, not with our bank account. Where, where does it start? In, in chapter 8 and verse 5, he says, Not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And so everything we talk about this morning when it comes to grace giving starts with the fact that you have to come to a place in your life where you give yourself to God. Now the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, the inhabitants and all who dwell therein. So in a way we could all say God owns me, but there has to come a place in time in our life where we acknowledge that ownership and as stewards we say, Lord, I give you all that I am. In salvation we come to the cross and we receive all that Jesus is but we must continually give ourselves, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, as living sacrifices, we're to give ourselves all that we are to God. And so what we're talking about this morning is so much more important than just tithes and offerings and giving of our financial resources. It's everything we are, giving our services, our resources, our very self, sacrificially to God. And so he summarizes these remarks in chapters 8 and 9 with what I want to call three aspects of grace giving. Three aspects of grace giving that will help us understand what New Testament Christians, what what grace giving is all about. And, And the first aspect that he deals with is their attitude. I want you to see the attitude of grace giving in these first couple of verses that we read a moment ago, starting with verse 6 when he explains that he says, he who sows, and you've heard this before, the the law of the sower or the the, the principle of sowing and reaping, he says, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. Now, in uh, 
a society very familiar with agriculture, they would have known if you don't plant a lot of seeds, you don't get a lot of crops. But if you plant a lot of seeds, you get a lot of crops. And you get a lot more than just the seed that you spread. You know, the, 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 more, you, the more you plant, the more you reap. But then he goes on to say, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And that's what I want us to think about when it comes to this attitude of grace giving for a moment. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, the Greek word for bountiful is the word eulageo. And I don't usually share what the Greek word is, but some of you are familiar with that word, or at least how it sounds. Eulageo, we get the word eulogy from it. It's the word that means blessing. So he says, he who gives to be a blessing will receive great blessings. And you might say, well, is it selfish to give in order to be blessed? And the answer to that is not if you receive the blessing in order to give. See, it's okay to say, I want to be a channel of blessing in this world. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I know that God has placed some people in this church, and he has given you the spiritual gift of gifting. And you're a channel of blessing. As God blesses you, you are able to bless so many others. And those of us who don't have that gift should never be jealous of those who do because God will use them them in your life to be a blessing to you. But it's okay to give in order to receive if we have the mentality that we receive in order to give. And so the attitude is one of saying, I just want to be a blessing. I want to be able to bless the church. I want to be able to bless the kingdom. I want to be able to bless the people around me. And when we desire to be a, a blessing, then we will begin to give bountifully. We, we will sow bountifully in order to be the, not only the recipient of blessings, but a channel of one. For us to be a channel of blessing means the blessings have to pass through us first. Isn't that exciting? But we just want to pass it on. It's, it's not a selfish attitude. It's just saying, Lord, I want to be a blessing to somebody. And, and every time, here's the principle that goes along with this attitude, is that, that's that you can't outgive God. If you try to be a blessing to somebody, you can't hardly handle the blessing God's about to give you as a result of that. And, and so this grace-giving comes with an attitude that says, I want to be a blessing. It asks the question not, how little can I get away with giving? See, that's the legalistic standard. When we, when we come and we say, okay, what's it going to cost me? How much i got to give? Wrong attitude. The right attitude is, is to say, I, I just want to be a blessing. I want to be as big a blessing as I can. And in being a blessing, I become a channel of blessing. And, and it's not how much do I have to give, but how much can I be a blessing? And again, the result is you will receive the blessing. What does that blessing look like? Sometimes the blessing is the Spirit of God's work in your life, where you say, man, I, I tried to be a blessing to somebody, and, and what the Spirit of God did in my life as a result of that was just such a blessing, I couldn't hardly handle it. And you, what did you want to do as a result of that? Go and be a blessing to somebody else. That's the attitude of grace giving. Sometimes it's the joy in seeing the fruit of it. See, I'm not going to be one of these preachers that says, you know what, if you send us a couple of hundred dollars in the mail, I'm going to send you an anointed prayer cloth, and as long as you keep that anointed prayer cloth in your Bible, God is going to make sure that you get filthy rich. That's, that's not the mentality. Sometimes the, the blessing that you receive from blessing the kingdom and blessing a brother or sister in Christ, sometimes the blessing 
that you receive is the joy that comes from seeing the fruit of that blessing. I love getting a newsletter from Finney Matthews and see what's going on with Alpha Ministries. Why? Because I know that this church invests in church planning in India through Alpha Ministries, and I get a blessing every time I read their newsletter. I know that my family has made a commitment to support Grace Children's Home in India. And when I get their feedback, and now they've partnered with Awana International, and and some exciting things that have come together as a result. I remember introducing Steve Cahoon and Finney Matthews and and now Awana and and, uh, Alpha Ministries are working together with Grace Children's Home. And so every time I get a newsletter, I get a blessing in my spirit because that is something that God led us to do was to bless that ministry as a church and as a family. So sometimes a blessing is just seeing the fruit of a ministry that God has asked you to bless. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give, and it will be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's that law of reciprocity. He kind of flips it over. He says, you intended to give, but guess what? I'm going to trust you now as a channel of blessing because you were faithful in giving. That's the attitude. God, I just want to be a blessing. It could be that he gives you material blessing to use for his glory. Have you thought of that? Maybe he's given you your home. Listen, if if you've got a home, it's to be used for his glory, right? Giving you your home to use for his glory. He's giving you your vehicle to use for his glory. Whatever it is. There again, you know, uh, I I had good friends that had a, um, when we lived in North Carolina, good friends that had a condo on uh, Carolina Beach, I wasn't jealous that God had blessed them with that because I was a recipient. Hey, can we use your condo? Yeah, pastor, go ahead. Use the condo. Did I say, man, they shouldn't have had that condo? No, I was glad God had blessed them because they used it to bless other people. And so, so many people in this church family, and you would be embarrassed if I called your name because you do this in, in, in a spirit of humility, but God has given you great blessings, and you use those blessings to bless and grace the kingdom. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that when we become good stewards saying, God, it all belongs to you. And as I try to give, as I try to bless, you're allowing me to receive the blessing to continue to be a channel of blessing. What a wonderful attitude for the people of the body of Christ to have. It's not a, not, not, not a complaining attitude, but a blessing attitude. Not how little can I give, but how much can I be a blessing The story was told of a lady who caught the pastor on the way out of church, and she started fussing with the pastor. People were kind of standing in line to greet the pastor, and this lady just started fussing with the pastor. And she said, Pastor, I've noticed in our custodial closet we have three brand-new brooms. What in the world do we need with three brand-new brooms? Why would would we spend so much money on three brand-new brooms? All we need is one broom. Who's wasting the money around here? And pastor just kind of was dumbfounded, didn't know what to say, and, and just kind of stuttered over, and he walked on out the door. And, and then a person on the, the finance team came by the pastor next and said, oh, pastor, don't worry about her. If everything you had given in the last five years was tied up in three brooms, you'd be upset too. Sometimes our complaining reveals our attitude of giving. Giving our time, talents, money, it's all to be a blessing, but it's also to be cheerful. It's that we might have joy in the giving, a celebration of giving. So let each one, verse 7, give as he purposes in his heart. That purpose speaks of intentionality. It means you need to pray about it as a family. 
and say, we want to be a blessing. What can we give to this ministry? What can we give to this program? So we want to bring our tithes and our offerings into the storehouse. What is our commitment? When it comes to that, as for me and my house, we should serve the Lord. So purpose and heart, intentionality. But then he says, purpose is in his heart. That's the key to understanding grace giving. It's, it's out of the heart. It's out of a heart of love, a heart of sacrifice, a heart of stewardship. It's been said before, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And so if we've got a heart that loves, then we want to give. We want to invest in a ministry that we care about. It's not grudgingly, he says, not of necessity. That sounds a lot like the words that Peter used to, when he told the elders of the church how they're to be serving in the church. He says, listen, don't, don't shepherd the flock of God out of compulsion. Don't do it because you have to. Don't try to force them to do what they... No, out of joy, out of love, you, you serve and you lead. And in the same way, that's the way we give. Not like, holy, I've got to give. Man, they're taking up an offering again. No, it's, it's out of joy. It's God loves, he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful, the word cheerful. I'm not trying to give you a Greek lesson this morning, but the word here is hilaros. Hilaros. It's, it's where we get our word hilarious. The word hilarious is not just an English word. It's a transliterated word right out of the Greek language. God loves a hilarious giver. It ought to bring great, passionate joy to us when we can invest in the things of God and we can be a blessing to somebody else. That's the attitude of grace giving. It's not, what's the Old Testament legalistic standard that I have to give in order to earn favor with God? We don't give in order to earn favor with God. We give because God has bestowed unmerited favor on our life. Because we are saved by grace, we say, Lord, what can I give? Where can I go? How can I serve? You've been so good to me, and I can't help but want to respond by being a blessing to you and a blessing to others. So we don't bury our gifts and our treasures and lose our joy. We invest in the things of God. Randy Alcorn said, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Even if you're buried in a $25,000 casket like Michael Jackson was, you can't take it with you. Someone asked of a rich man once, how much did he leave after he had died? How much did he leave? And the best response was, all of it. Left it all. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. That's the attitude. Next, I want us to see the acknowledgement of our grace giving. By looking at verse 8, the acknowledgement of our grace giving. He, he says, and God, who is able to make all grace abound towards you. So we're acknowledging that God is able to manifest his grace in our lives and grace becomes our motivation for grace giving he's able to make all grace abound that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work god according to philippians chapter 4 and verse 19 my god shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory if he's calling me to do something he's going to provide for me to do what he's calling me to do and then he takes care of all of his faithful followers, as it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever, we're rich in our salvation. Listen, everybody in here that has a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
you are rich because your daddy owns it all. And, and, and your inheritance in the saints, the Scripture says, you are a joint heir with Christ. Your inheritance in the saints is all of heaven. So you may feel like you're somewhat impoverished in this life from time to time. Now, I would strongly encourage you, if you do feel that way, you need to go on a mission trip with us to Haiti sometime, and you'll realize it's not so bad. I remember when I was in high school and I got my first car, I turned 16, started driving, and I got the old beat-up Chevrolet Citation. It was, a, it was a grace gift because I ended up not being charged for that car. But I remember thinking, I've got the ugliest car on the high school campus. But just about the time I was ready to complain about it, I went on a mission trip to Haiti, and I came back and said, thank you, God, for my car. It also added to uh, my popularity because everybody knew who, drew, who drove the blue bomb back then. So, um, <laughs> Listen, all, all we've got to do is look around and look what God has provided for us his, out of his riches and glory, and we realize we are very, very wealthy in him. And then he will also make our acknowledgement of, of grace giving is, is acknowledging that he will make what we give fruitful. Verse 10, that he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Paul had already said, look, one plants and other waters, but God gives the increase. And so when we invest in the things of God, when we give of our tithes and our offerings and we say, I want to be a blessing, to, to somebody, we begin to give. God is the one who comes along and says, I'm going to multiply your gift, like the little boy with the sack lunch. And Andrew says, hey, I want to introduce you to someone, and Jesus takes the boy's sack lunch, and he feeds 5,000 plus the women and children. Jesus can take our gifts and multiply those gifts to do things that we never thought possible. But if we try to hold too tightly we rob ourselves of seeing that fruitfulness that God can do when we invest in the things of God. And then we acknowledge that our offering is ultimately an act of thanksgiving in verse 11, while you are enriched in everything with, for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. God has been so good to you, what Paul is saying. God has been so good to you there at the church of Corinth that out of an act of thanksgiving, you just want to give back. You want to be a blessing. You want to give cheerfully because God has been so gracious to you. Generous giving acknowledges, God, you have been good to me. Can anybody else say that this morning? God, you have been good to me. You will take care of me. You are able to rebuke the devourer on my behalf. As Malachi argues in Malachi chapter 3, uh, in verse 11, he's even able to come in. When we begin to invest in the things of the kingdom, he's able to make those things that we have last longer than we thought they would have lasted. And some of us would think, well, you know what, Pastor? I can't afford to give him my tithes and my offerings. I can't afford to be. I would love to, but I just can't afford to do that. When we go back and we read that principle of, of God rebuking the devourer, we realize we can't afford not to. We, we can't afford not to just let it to be a channel of God's grace and invest in the things of God because he puts his hand of grace and his hand of protection on our lives and those things that he's asked us to steward as a result. H.A. Ironside was praying before a meal one time, just giving thanks. He went into a restaurant and he bowed his head to give thanks. And after he prayed, he raised his head and this other man who also happened to be by himself was very critical and he said, oh, you're one of them. 
He said, what do you mean one of them? Oh, one of them who thinks you've got to stop and give thanks because you're having a meal. He said, let me tell you something. I've worked hard. I didn't need God's help along the way. I worked hard for everything I got, and I'm not giving thanks to anybody else. I'm the one who made it happen. And so when I get my food, I'm just going to dig right in. Dr. Ironside said, well, that's good. That's exactly what my dog does when he gets his food. Just plow right in. No, we acknowledge in our grace giving that God has been good and we give thanks. Our tithes, our offerings serve, uh, you know, when we serve in the church, it's not because, well, you know, I think I like the pastor and the music here. Or maybe I don't like, this, this actually happens. I know that would be hard for some of you to believe, but in churches across America today, there will be people who say, you know what, I really am mad at the pastor today, I'm not going to give. You're not robbing the pastor, you're robbing God. You know, I, I didn't like the music. Until they get that music straightened out, I'm going to pull the purse strings. God didn't need their money. They needed to experience true discipleship. And we don't give because we're trying to earn brownie points with God. But because we love God and are thankful for His grace in our life, we acknowledge that He is the Lord of our life and the giver of every good thing. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, is what James said. So the question is not, are we under the Old Testament tithe? The question is, does grace giving cause us to want to be so much more of a blessing than we ever could under the law? And then finally, I want us to see that there's an accountability aspect. The administration of grace giving. The administration, this third aspect is very important. Generous giving is not indiscriminate giving. Giving liberally is not just saying, well, I'll give to any and every cause that makes a tear come to my eye. It's not indiscriminate giving. Look at verse 12. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Putting our gifts together b- begins with, with doing ministry to those of the household of faith. You know, Paul says that we're to look out for those of the household of the faith first and foremost. But we want to give in a way that brings glory to God, while through the proof of this ministry, verse 13, they glorify God for obedience of your confession to what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, they were investing in the gospel of Christ, the the ministry of the Word of God. Uh, Someone brought up the question last week in a conversation I was having, not not related to to this message, but they had had a friend say, well, we just don't have a pastor at our church, and we don't believe in in, um, having paid staff or paid pastors or anything like that. And they asked the question, you know, are, are there scriptures that talk about paying the pastor? Well, there's a condition on that. Whether you look at Galatians 6, 6, Hebrews 13, 7, 1 Timothy 5, 17, and all of those situations, you don't pay a pastor who's not preaching and teaching the Word of God. If he's not faithful to this book and his life is not striving to follow, then you're not supposed to support that ministry. But it says that we're supposed to do that. The, the priority is on the preaching and the teaching of the gospel, taking the Word to the world. A, a recent Lifeway report said that the healthiest churches have pastors who will spend at least 20-plus hours in study and in preaching and teaching. I thought that was interesting. 20-plus hours in study and preaching and teaching. 
that's, that was a description of the healthiest churches across our land today. And so that made me stop and say a big thank you for the folks at Trinity Baptist Church who allows me to do what I do on a full-time basis so that I can spend the hours I need to spend in study and in the preaching and teaching of God's Word. It's not burdensome. It is a great joy for me to be involved in the preaching and teaching ministry of God's Word. It is a great joy for Pastor Ben to be before your young people preaching and teaching the Word of God. That's what he's called us to do. If we're not careful, if we're not careful as a church, and I know so many churches, they don't want a preacher. They want a chaplain. A lot of churches don't want the pastor to be a, a, available to the Word of God and the things of God, but they want their pastor to be, you know, if, if somebody has a hangnail, we want you to be there to cry with them, or, or, or they want the youth pastor to be a glorified babysitter. You just watch the kids while we go have a good time. But our jobs as the pastoral staff of the church is to give ourselves to the Word of God and, and to the God of the Word and to lead the people of God in the Word of God and in the things of God. So we're told not to support those ministries where the pastors are distracted from the Word of God or are about anything but the Word of God, sometimes exploiting the people. That's why you've got to be so careful about just uh, every TV commercial that makes you cry. Well, I need to invest in that. I need to buy that. Listen, everybody knows how to put um, uh, sad faces and sick puppies in front of your eyes so that you feel like you've got to give to a cause. Pray about what you're investing in and ask, is this a kingdom-focused, worthy investment? But it goes further. One of our teachers reminded me this week that our budget needs to reflect the significance of of life groups and and, and teaching and preaching of the Word of God, and that is so true. We need to commit ourselves to provide the best resources to help people preach and teach the Word of God and to take the gospel, taking the Word to the world. We want to give to missions and reach a, a community and reach a world with the gospel of Christ. There are all kinds of social ministries we could get bogged down in but if in the end while we're giving somebody a cup of cold water in jesus name and 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 while we're feeding the hungry if we're not getting to their spirit and their soul we're only giving them a temporary solution not an eternal solution so we've got to invest our dollars in those things that take the word of god to god's world and makes all the difference in the world he goes on, he says again in verse 13, they glorify God for their obedience of your confession to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, in other words, they know what's most important by your investment, this great gospel that brings us all together. These were Gentiles now supporting a ministry, their mother church, if you will, who were Jews. They were saying they're not people like us, but we're given to this mission. We're given to this ministry for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the administration of grace giving. That's what leads us to say, I want to give sacrificially because it will make an eternal difference. It's the difference between heaven and hell for the lives of so many. That's the ministries we want to invest in. That's the administration of grace giving. It's all about the furtherance of the gospel. Your gift may seem big, it may seem small, but when it's the right attitude, desiring to be a blessing, giving cheerfully even when it is of great sacrifice when it is acknowledging out of gratitude a great and mighty god who is able to take care of all of our needs and make us a channel of his grace and when the administration is for the sake of the kingdom and the gospel and the preaching and teaching of the word god gets on that and he blesses that he says thanks be to god for his indescribable gift i remember being in a 
stewardship campaign in North Carolina as we prepared to build a new uh, multi-purpose sanctuary and, and family life center, much, much like this. And there was one gentleman in the church who, was, uh, who built houses, and he had said, my gift, there's a house that I've built, and we're going to sell that house, everything I've got in it, everything that it profits, everything that that house sells for, we're, I'm going to give to the stewardship campaign. And um, I think it ended up being around a $120,000 gift. Wow, blew me away. But it wasn't what blew me away the most. See, there was about a 10-year-old boy in the church. His name was Neil. And Neil said, I'm going to give my base car, baseball card collection. It sold for $500. That's quite a collection. He said, I'm going to give my baseball card collection to the stewardship campaign. Now, I was very appreciative of Bill's gift, sacrificial. But I was more impressed with Neil's gift because it was probably everything he had. See, the widow's might, Jesus commended because she gave all that she had. Stewardship, biblical stewardship, is when we come to a place in life where we say, God, it all belongs to you. It all, all belongs to you. And I want to be a channel of your grace. I want to be a channel of your blessings. And you may say, well, I don't know if I can afford it. Can we afford not to want to be a channel of his blessings and his grace and see what he does with it for his glory throughout all eternity? There's a lot of great resources. I know that this morning I'm speaking to people who are saying, I'm trying to figure all of this out. You contact us this week. We want to put some resources in your hands, whether it's uh, through Crown Ministries or other great ministries that are out there. We want to introduce you to there are folks here saying, well, Pastor, you don't understand how deep in debt I'm in. Listen, Tina and I got married. We made some mistakes early on. Makes stewardship one of the hardest things for me to preach and teach on because of some mistakes we made early in our life. And, and, and we begin to take some of these steps. You can begin to take some of these steps and work toward becoming debt-free. We're not there yet. We, we still have to pray about, Lord, do you really want us to do this? You want us to do that? You want us to give to this? You want us to give to that? You want our kids to go here? We're where most of you are, struggling through. But there are some great resources we can put in your hand, walk you through this thing called stewardship and being a blessing for the kingdom of God. Would you bow your heads with us?